0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Foo for Thought podcast. It is just me, Sean, at the moment. Uh, Cyrus and Devon are not along for the ride this week because this is our first ever bonus episode. Um, I got to sit down this week with Sifu Alex Richter. If you're not aware of who Alex is, he is known as the Kung Fu Genius. He's the Kung Fu Genius on Instagram, on Twitter, and he has his own podcast, uh, which is available on all streaming platforms as well as on YouTube. Um, He films it, and he puts it up as an audio edition as well. Um, Me and Alex got to sit down for about an hour and chat all things Kung Fu, uh, Wing Chun, Kung Fu Cinema, Shaw Brothers, Golden Harvest, uh, Bruce Lee, plenty of Bruce Lee. So the man is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to all uh, all those things we talked about. He knows a hell of a lot. He knows more about Bruce Lee than I'll ever know about Kung Fu films, he's just a wealth of knowledge. And it was just a great conversation. I had the absolute time of my life talking to him. Um, It was genuinely very interesting. Some good laughs in there. Um, And I hope you all enjoy the conversation as well. Like I said, it's about an hour long. Um, And yeah, go ahead, give it a listen. Let me know if you like it. This is the first bonus episode. I'm hoping this will be the first of many. So if you do like it, uh, please let me know. Just, you know, hit me up on Instagram or on Twitter whatever you'd like to do and uh yeah with no with without much further ado i meant to say i'll go ahead and play the theme song and we'll jump into the interview thanks everyone for listening all right we are recording fantastic uh let me just crank you up a little bit there we go all right um so i'm just going to start off with my initial question which i think is the uh the dumbest question i can ask so, <laughs> so why wing t-s-u-n and why not wing H U I've, I've i've never i've never heard that answered i don't know if you've answered it on uh, your show but uh i, I was just wondering
1: uh, that's a good question. Uh, I get that question a lot because mm-hmm. the C H U N spelling is the um, is kind of the standard spelling. Yeah. And so people often wonder why there are these alternate spellings. The, the first problem is there's no standard way to phoneticize Cantonese into our alphabet. So already Cantonese has a bit of a phonetization problem in general. Gotcha. Um, and in Hong Kong, which was a British colony, the um, initials W C have a different meaning. So, uh, they didn't want oh. to have a Wing Chun Association in Hong Kong with the acronym that had WC inside. Water of it. closet? <laughs> because that means water closet or toilet. Oh,
0: uh, okay.
1: Americans often don't know that. Uh, that is uh, normally only Europeans that know about that. Uh, so. They wanted to have an alternate spelling that used something a little bit different. Now, the, the first spelling that Grandmaster Yip Man used mm-hmm. was V I N Yes.
0: I've seen that as well. Yes.
1: Yes. And that came about in 1966. The, the, the British uh, government in Hong Kong forced all martial art associations to officially register. Because before that time, uh, most of those martial arts schools were not official businesses. Mm -hmm. They were teaching somewhere, and there were a lot of triad connections with the original Kung Fu schools. Hong Kong wanted to crack down a little bit and say, okay, now you need to formally register your school. And that was the first time many uh, Sifus in Hong Kong actually had to figure out a way to spell their style using our alphabet. because. Before that, they were just teaching in Chinese to right. Chinese people. It didn't actually matter how they spelt it using using the alphabet. So Grandmaster Yip Man, for some odd reason, thought that V was a W sound because it's pronounced "way" chun in Cantonese. Right. So he came up with the idea of V I N G, meaning W I N G, and the T S U N is because it's actually not chun; it's chun. Right. Wang, chun. And so it's a little it's a little sharper, and then. After that, uh, my teacher, Sifu Leng Teng, he knew that the V was incorrect, so he changed it to a W and kept the T S U N. And then that became the trademark for his association and his lineage. Okay. So W T then means it comes from Leng Teng, um, whereas the other spellings could could be a number of different lineages. So it became kind of a brand name within the Yip Man family. So.
0: Got you. So Long Teng or Liang Teng. Um, you learn from him but he his lineage technically is from yip man right
1: the correct yes
0: so but would you say that your lineage is then from yip man or did Young Cheng i keep saying his name wrong now young <laughs> Tin okay. change it um enough for him to have a specific lineage does that make sense
1: Yeah, well, I mean, every Sifu basically thinks that their own brand is better than everyone (laughs) else's, Um, but he is essentially teaching his version of what he learned from Grandmaster Yip Man, and what he did is he structured the teaching methods in a way that uh, you don't normally see in traditional Chinese Kung Fu. So his brand, so to speak, is the fact that he actually had an organized teaching system uh, okay. it wasn't so much that the wing chun was vastly different from what the other people were doing so it was more kind of a branding for his association but yeah i mean we are from the yip man line that is where our where our stream of wing chun comes from right. so um yeah absolutely yeah.
0: interesting okay so in the future are you going to have your own lineage uh
1: well i uh, ultimately uh, every sifu has essentially creates their own brand right. at some point but um, I, I don't. Uh, I, I don't want to do it in a way where, like, this is my style that I created because mm-hmm. I didn't do that. I'm standing on the shoulders of giants who came before me. <laughs> yes. So uh, I'm just the cog in the wheel of Chinese martial arts, as far as I'm concerned.
0: Okay. So what came first, kung fu movies or kung fu for you?
1: Ooh, kung fu movies came first. Yeah. Um, my uh, I, I did karate as a child, mm-hmm. and my um, I, I was sick. Uh, I told the story a few times. I was sick. Home uh, one day from school, and my dad rented Enter the Dragon, <laughs> and brought it home and played it for me. And of course, at age eight or whatever, there's there's all sorts of nudity and violence. Enter right, the right. I thought it was the best movie I had ever <laughs> seen. And uh, but then there's this charama- charismatic star named Bruce Lee who just blew me away, and I'm like, who, what what is this magic I'm watching right now? Uh, and that. Essentially, started a lifelong obsession with Bruce Lee, which then became an obsession with Wing Chun and martial arts in general. Right. The second kung fu movie I saw was *Heroes of the East*.
0: Oh, nice. And
1: uh, yeah, here here in the New York area, they used to show kung fu movies in the '80s, which is why I like those those like Wu Tang Clan and all those yep. all those kids who grew up in New York in the '80s knew those movies because they showed them every Saturday right. on something called Black Belt Theater. And they would usually show two of them, I think, sometimes on Saturdays. And it was a lot of uh, – it was mostly Shaw Brothers catalog. Uh, but there would occasionally be some other stuff in there too. And I remember I was at my aunt's house. I didn't know the name of the movie. Yeah. But it was Heroes of the East. And if – Enter the Dragon made me fall in love with Bruce Lee. Heroes of the East made me fall in love with Kung Fu. Got you. And, and that would that was – and once I saw that, especially that movie where you have the juxtapositions of the Chinese and the Japanese mm-hmm. styles, and it was, it's just the Kung Fu porn. I mean, the entire story <laughs> is just a very loose construct to get to the next fight yep, scene. Yep. <laughs> and, and the performances are great. Gordon Liu is fantastic. And Yasuaki Karada is amazing. Uh, years later, I had the chance to meet Yasuaki Karada in Japan. Oh, nice. or, Sorry, not in Japan, in, in Hong Kong. Uh, but he was teaching there, and oddly enough, I heard him speak Cantonese, which was the first time I ever s- heard a Japanese person speak Cantonese. It blew me away. <laughs> I had never heard, I had never heard Cantonese spoken with a Japanese accent. It's quite amazing. Yeah. And I came up to him and I I, uh, I gave him a banner from my school and I told him, you know, because of Heroes of the East, I it, it, that essentially started a lifelong obsession with Chinese martial arts and that film is really the reason why I'm doing it. And I basically, I wanted to thank him for being in this movie that basically changed the entire direction of my life. Yeah. And he, he could not have been more humble and gracious. Wow. And, 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 and he was like, Oh, thank you. And he took my banner and we took a photo and he, it's hanging in his school in Hong Kong to this day. And it just, he was just so kind. And you know, they say, don't meet your heroes. <laughs> yeah. And I say, that's not true. If your heroes are Sammo hung and Yasuaki Karada, Meet them because
0: they're both awesome. That's awesome because uh, Yasuaki Karata always came across as like the ultimate badass and like such yes. a, a, a gruff presence on screen and like this rugged, yeah, like I said, like badass. So to actually meet him and, and he'd be so humble and gracious, that's incredible. Did he speak so English? Nice. Yeah.
1: He did speak English, uh, oh. which is which just shows you his kind of work ethic. I mean, he was this Japanese actor who did films in Japan. He goes yeah. to Hong Kong. He learned to speak Cantonese, and he also speaks English. Uh, it's it's really. I mean, this is someone who's definitely worked very hard. You can see in his hands. Yeah. He's Trained very hard. He's very serious, and uh, yeah, it was an absolute blast to beat him.
0: That's awesome. I'm, I've just been, funny enough, just this week, I've been watching uh, a whole bunch of uh, Atsuko Shihomi films. And, uh, the Lady Street Fighter, That's right. right. And he's been in them. Yes. He's been popping up here and yes. there. And uh, yeah, he's he's been fantastic. I have a similar story uh, to you uh, in that one day, uh, my dad, years and years ago, he rented, um, I'm pretty sure it was the Big Boss. And it's ingrained in my mind that I watched it And I enjoyed it, but I don't remember watching it and enjoying it, if that makes sense. It was years later where uh, my brother used to hang out with all his friends and, like, smoke pot in my mum's living room while my mum was out. And then my brother one day, high as a kite, comes up to my room, hands me a VHS of Drunken Master, and just says, You have to watch this. And the rest is history. Yeah, wow. that w- that wow. was it yeah that-
1: very similar story very similar story yeah.
0: yeah i mean we all start somewhere right there's always that one film that that gets our that gets our foot in the door yes. but uh yeah that's awesome so when it when it comes to wing chun uh what what was it? It, it why wing chun basically what is it about or what was it i should say about wing chun that really just drug you in and, and made you want to continue with it
1: um, I think, well, first of all, it's definitely the Bruce Lee connection that this okay. his first, the first martial art that he had practiced. So I had read about it um, in magazines. As a, I had practiced karate and then later taekwondo as a child. I, mm-hmm. got, I eventually got my black belt when I was 15. I had done it for about seven years and I was very serious into it. But by the time I got my black belt at 15... My interest in taekwondo was waning because uh, I was 15. I had interest in girls and things like that. <laughs> um, but I still wanted to do uh, I still wanted to do something related to what Bruce Lee did. And my family relocated from the East Coast to Seattle, and there just happened to be a Wing Chun school in the town that I was living in. And I walked by it, and I was like, a Wing Chun school i had wanted to do it for so long. I walked in there. It was everything I wanted it to be. And, yeah. and I finally had the chance to learn to use my hands. Taekwondo, we use a lot of kicks. Yes. And I, I didn't really know how to use my hands. And this was a school that not only taught Wing Chun, but taught us how to deal with like boxing and stuff like that. Okay. So it was, a, um, it, it, it was great for me because it, it checked all the boxes. It was Kung Fu. It was Bruce Lee. But there was also a practical element to it and so it was just great and and i started i guess yeah at 15 and uh, i'm now 44 years old so i've been doing wing chun since then
0: that's awesome that's that's really cool i um when i first came to this country to live um i, I moved to chicago originally and uh, you know i didn't have a job i i just i was nothing <laughs> i was starting from scratch and i actually took up wing chun there was a um my seafood was a guy called I don't know if you even know his name. He he implied that he was maybe quite big in the Wing Chun world. He was Ken Harnish. Do you know that name? Maybe uh, not. I
1: don't. Uh, I, I don't. Uh, but Wing Chun is very local. Like you know. Yeah. The, like I don't know. I don't know much about the guys in Chicago, but I could tell you like the entire history of everyone who's ever
2: taught <laughs> in New York. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah, he was... um, I think he's passed on now, but uh, when I... It was quite funny. I I started training with him a few times a week. And back then, you know, I was like, what, 20 years old? And I was just an idiot. So... About three months in, I was like, Why the fuck aren't I a master yet? Why have I not mastered Wing Chun? I am just the best, you know, the greatest Wing Chun fighter of all. So I gave up. <laughs> I gave up because I just I didn't think I was getting anywhere in it, which is so I regret that massively.
1: Well, I mean, when you look at movie montages, you, 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 <laughs> exactly. you figure, you know, they're probably just doing this for maybe a month tops before they go and, and fight the final villain. So, uh, yeah, the expectations can be a little brutal when you make that transition to real-life martial arts.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. A big big regret in my life. Um, so, speaking of Wing Chun films, then which one is uh, is the greatest Wing Chun film of all time?
1: Uh, I have to say it's it's still prodigal. So yeah, with by, by far. Uh, and, and I, I'm, I'm very vocal about my distaste for a lot of the IP men <laughs> franchise films. Uh, I, I, I think the first Yip man movie with Donnie Yen is, is quite serviceable and quite good. Mm-hmm. I like Yip man, the final fight. Uh, because oh yeah. That one has the most accurate, um, depiction of the late grandmaster. Oh, film, okay. And also, um, Anthony Wong is the only actor. Who ever attempted to actually use a fatsan accent which Yip man had because he was from fatsan oh so he in Cantonese in that film with a fatsan accent he was the only one who who actually tried to act like Grandmaster Yip man and even his son had told uh, him how how his father used to hold the put the cigarette ashes into his hands and okay like that so he, he like he you know, Anthony Wong is a serious actor, and oh yeah, you know Don Yen is more of an action actor. So I, I appreciate the the level of detail that Anthony Wong brought to that role. But besides the first Yip Man movie and Yip Man: The Final Fight, um, I'm not a huge fan of like the Yip Man franchise. They bring us new students whenever they come out, which is great. But I'm still I, I still think Prodigal Son is the best uh, Wing Chun film that's ever been made
0: that's awesome i'm uh i'm doing a podcast on that this week i'll be covering the prodigal son Uh, our episode that we're recording right now that will come out afterwards um but on saturday i'll be sitting down with my uh best friend and wife who have never seen the film and uh they will be watching it for the first time and if they don't like it i don't know what to do (laughs) i I just
1: (laughs) it's a friendship test
0: (laughs) exactly exactly i just i can't imagine them not liking it but i guess we'll have to see um but yeah i think i think that's definitely i think warriors 2 is like up there as one of the best as well yes. um yes. but prodigal son just takes warriors 2 and slightly ups it makes it absolutely
1: yeah. i mean warriors 2 was Samo's first attempt mm-hmm. so uh the choreography from the wing chun side is a little bit more raw he still leaned into a lot of non-wing chun elements yeah to make the choreography work. Um, I mean, in prodigal son, there's also a lot of kind of non Wing Chun moments on the Wing Chun side of yeah. the choreography because it, it is a challenging style to, to choreograph, especially if the actors are not actual Wing Chun practitioners. Um, but he definitely was much better at it by the time he did prodigal son. And, and you can definitely see it in the action. Um, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a funny story. Um, uh, uh, a Lomong uh, from mm-hmm. the Venom's fame. i uh, yep. he's he's, a, he's a, I'm very lucky to consider him a, a friend of mine, and I've I've had the chance to hang out with him uh, on a number of occasions. That's amazing. And I always like to ask him about these you know these stories and stuff, and of you course. Know, usually <laughs> people ask him about Venom stuff. But he um he was also in the Yip Man movies, right? Yes. So I, uh, I I I asked them like if there were any notable stories from the set of I think he was first in Yip Man too. Um, and then he, he, he's, you know, he fights Donnie N on the table yeah, there at the yeah. beginning. And he said that, uh, Donnie had a stunt double, uh, who was an actual Wing Chun Sifu, who's the guy that kind of makes Donnie look like his Wing Chun is a lot better than he okay. is. And they were, and they were going through the, um, the choreography and the stunt double who was an actual Wing Chun practitioner. Yeah. Um, kept hitting Lomong during the rehearsals, <laughs> right? And they're just kind of marking through it, right? right. And uh, and it was kind of like the first time it was like, you know, Lomong being the elder statesman, and this exchange here is kind of like, take it easy, take it easy. <laughs> and it happens like a second time, and third time it happens, Lomong kind of, let's say, puts him in his place with a quick movement or something like that. Nice. And the Wing Chun guy gets very upset, and and, and Samuel has to come in and kind of you know, move the, uh, you know, get, get, get that guy, you know, to, to calm down a little bit off to the side and, um, and, and after that, the, it was uh, someone, I'm not going to say who it is, that effing Wing Chun guys. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and the funny thing is, I, I completely agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> Most of these guys have such big uh, big egos and big attitudes. I thought that was kind of funny.
0: And you don't fuck yeah. with Lohmann because he's a Southern Mantis guy, right? And he's, he used to be he's shredded. S-
1: super legit. Super legit. He's still yeah. very strong. Damn. Um, every time I see him, like the first thing he does is he grabs my forearm he's kind of, and he's like, ah, you've been trained. Like, he's always like, Hey, you're training. Oh, you're a little stronger than last time. <laughs> he's definitely very, uh, very aware of that. Yeah. Southern Mantis. Um, he comes from the Juga family and mm-hmm. Southern Mantis, uh, has a lot of very hardcore kind of isometric tension in their form. Yes. The way they move in their partner exercises. Um, It's extremely uh, strenuous style to practice and not easy. It's not a style for a casual enthusiast because it's very strenuous and requires a lot of strength training and basics to even just get through the first form. Yeah,
0: yeah, he does a lot of that in... It's either Invincible Shaolin or... uh, Is it Invincible Shaolin? Is that the one?
1: It is Invincible Shaolin, yeah. Yeah,
0: it's... uh, I mean, he was... (laughs) He got a bad... Kind of rap for his Venoms were because he always died. <laughs> In every yeah, Venoms film, yeah. he died. I don't know why, but um, yeah, when he was on screen, he was just uh, phenomenal. I've just always been a big fan He's of him. Absolutely
1: amazing. Um, I, mean, I interviewed him once about, about those films, and he would always say, and then my character died an honorable death. <laughs> that, that's, always how, that's always how we kind of closed it out. I'm always <laughs> thinking like, nah, We would have loved to have seen you make it to the final frame. Exactly,
0: exactly. yeah. <laughs> I don't think there were many. Um,
1: but uh,
0: Leung Ting uh, worked on the Venoms films as well, right? As like a martial arts consultant?
1: He, he did, he did. Um, he um, he To a certain degree, he essentially replaced Lao Ka Leung for oh. uh, Chung Che. Because yeah. uh, um, uh, Chang Chi's choreographer, you know, because in the studio system, you had like your teams that work with certain uh, directors. Yeah. And so uh, Lao Kar Lung for a while was uh, Chang Chi's choreographer. Mm-hmm. But uh, Lao Kar Lung was starting to squirm under, the pr- uh. under Chang Chi's <laughs> thumb and didn't really like being restricted or doing these films that maybe he considered a bit formulaic. And I think he quit. Famously, he quit on the set of Marco Polo in Taiwan oh, okay. or something like that. And then that's when uh, Run Run Shaw, I heard uh, then, he didn't want to lose Lau Kar Leung because he knew what a talent he was. He says, okay, we want to keep you at Shaw Brothers. I'll let you direct your own movie. Nice. And so that's then when he finally had the chance to do things like you know 36 Chambers and he was no longer under um, Chang Che's wing, so to speak. And then that that created a void for Chang Che. He needed a, a choreographer and yeah. he wanted to get someone similar to Lao who had an actual martial arts pedigree and Teng at that time was very famous because he had a tv show called real kung fu oh. and they hired him but it turns out that learning ting uh was not very well liked i mean he's my teacher by but he's my former teacher i'm not with him anymore yep. uh, but i can be very open and honest um <laughs> He, he's not someone who works well with other people. <laughs> okay. And so uh, I, I uh, have the impression you, also from talking to, I've talked to a couple of the Venoms that I learned him was a bit of a tyrant on the set and he wasn't very well liked. Oh. So he, um, he actually came up with the, the styles for the five Venoms with Chang Che. He told me they did it over Dim Sum because these were completely created styles. Is yeah, like absolutely. Style or, yeah. Uh, even the snake style that they created is not like the traditional No, it's style. the
0: fangs it's and the tail, right? The, the, the fangs yeah, and the yeah, tail, right? Yeah, yeah.
1: And so he told me like how him and tante they were having dim sum and they were just creating these styles and giving them all a character and this style, is this, which I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall for that conversation. Um, and so he kind of contributed to that i don't know how much he actually did uh in terms of the choreography because when i talked to lu feng and lo among he gave me the impression that they were such a well-oiled machine at that point yeah they basically came up with the choreography themselves right so they didn't really need a, an outside choreographer and then leon ting did a couple more films he he did invincible shaolin he he did the choreography for the wing chun guy
0: he did uh, 10 tigers, the, tigers of Tung as, as well i think
1: 10 tigers of quantum and, yeah. and He also did. uh, uh, He was also on Chinatown Kid as well. Oh, all shot at Shaw Brothers, not at all shot in San Francisco. (laughs) Um, And and uh, a couple other movies. Then he did a film outside of Shaw Brothers, The Formidable Lady of Shaolin, which is a Wing Chun film.
0: Oh, really? Which was
1: pretty good. Uh, Yeah, I think it was Cecilia Wong, and it's kind of a one-off Wing Chun movie for a very small uh, studio.
0: Is that also Uh, known uh, as Stranger from Shaolin?
1: Yes, it is. It okay. Is. It's one of those films that has like five different titles. Yes, um, as they when all you, do. When you watch the, yeah, as you watch the <laughs> Wing Chun choreography in that film, if you're familiar with the different lineages, that's like Lerm Teng Wing Chun. Oh, wow. In that film. So, yeah, he definitely had his hand in that
0: one. That's awesome. I was I was doing some research on Prodigal Son today, and I came across this guy. I've got his name listed here. <laughs> I say I come across this guy. His name's literally Guy. It's Guy...
2: Guy
0: Lai. Yeah, Guy Lai Ying yeah. Chao um i i knew nothing about him other than he was the wing chun consultant on prodigal son but he's on he's been on films like there's one called i love wing chun and then there's another film called kung fu wing chun and he hasn't done much at all i have no idea who he is Do you know much about him
1: so, uh, I'm known as the Kung Fu genius. That's my nickname. Yep. I got it in the Hong Kong press. I know all sorts of obscure people. <laughs> I have no idea who he is. Okay. I, I, uh, I have no, I, I've looked into it. I don't remember. Maybe he was a student of Jiu Wan, but, uh, I'm, I, I cannot. Juwan was one of Yipman's students yeah. who, um, Jiu Wan taught a number of movie stars. So Lei Hoi Sang, the veteran villain from all those Kung Fu movies was a student of Jiu Wan. Ah. Um, Ti, Lo- Ti Long was a student of Jiu Wan. So Jiu Wan was one of Yip Man's students. He apparently had some triad connections, which is also how somehow a lot of his students were also like movie stars at the time. <laughs> so he um, he taught a number of movie stars. I I thought, I think I read somewhere that Guy Lai may have been one of Jiu Wan's students as well, which would, um, which would kind of show why there was some kind of movie connection there but that was a long time ago and i could i could be totally wrong on that okay um, but i i i don't uh, I, I don't really know much about uh much about that Sifu, unfortunately
0: yeah there's not much out there i i did a like a cursory search for him and you know there's there's stuff about his films but nothing specifically about him um i thought i thought that was very interesting um yeah so
1: My good friend Vincent Lin also worked with him on some film oh. uh, and told me about it. And I was like, oh, great. Did you find out anything about his Wing Chun? He was like, no. <laughs> so, so even even people I know who have met Guy Lai cannot tell me
0: anything. Hmm. So. He's very elusive. Um, yes. So as a Wing Chun teacher who's been teaching for many years, when you sit down to watch a Wing Chun film specifically, do you find yourself like deconstructing the fight scenes in your head or do you find yourself just dismissing it immediately and just being like this is this is movie wing chun
1: yeah i you kind of have to do that um i i i was taught a very um good lesson by one of my friends who practices hong kun uh, Mm. i think with the the time the second yip man movie came out because the second yip man movie in my opinion, the choreography really took a detour for the worse. When you look at the first film, there were a lot of intricate movements and it had a lot of it was very impactful. Like yes. Like the punches, especially like in the the 10 black belts He's hitting it. Yeah. Very brutal. When you look at the choreography in the second film, there's like a lot of <laughs> slappy patty cake kind of choreography. Right. And it was very unclear and it wasn't as clean and as brutal as the first film. And I complained about it. And I also complained a little bit about the story not being accurate. Not that that's the number one job of these films are not documentaries. Right. But hey, I'm a Wing Chun nerd. And one of my one of my friends who practices Hong Kun says, oh, now you finally know how we feel about all those Wong Fei-Hong movies.
0: <laughs> Interesting, yeah. And yeah. I,
1: had, I had never thought of it that way because although we know Wong Fei-Hong was a real character in, mm-hmm. in the history of, of Hong Kun and Chinese martial arts, He's so fictionalized through films, no one watches those films and, and wonders if this is an accurate story or if or if Jet Li was really doing <laughs> Hong <Kun>. You just <laughs> you just suspend that kind of disbelief. Yeah. But when it's your own style, you're like, Hey, wait, this is not how it happened. That's not how you do the bong out. That's not how you hold your hands when you do this. And the Hong Kun guys have had to basically eat that for yeah. since the nineteen forties. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And, and and that was like huge for me, and I was like, you know what, you're right, because I don't watch the Once Upon a Time in China series and give it a second thought as to whether Wong Fei Hung actually had any exploit that was similar to any of those films. And I know that Jet Li is not even doing anything remotely close to Hong Kun in those films, and it doesn't bother me one bit because it's not my style.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't think uh, I don't think a a fictional Wong Fei Hung has done Hong Kun since maybe the 40s. You know, I don't think anyone has done it. Uh, not that I, I can't even think of a depiction. Maybe he does some in Rise of the Legend. Maybe there's, there's some of that going on. Oh, well, this is an audio podcast, so no one's seeing what I'm doing, but yes. I, I'm doing a very specific arm right, movement. Right, right. There's a bit of that in it, but yeah. that's uh, Yes, yes, yes. Um, so let's go on to the topic of uh Bruce Lee a little bit of course we have to talk about bruce lee because okay. you are a a bruce lee fanatic would you say
1: uh i would say i have a slightly above average <laughs> interest in bruce lee <laughs> okay
0: that that's that's a good way to put it um so what what's your favorite bruce lee film
1: it's way of the dragon
0: way of the dragon okay yes and why is that why does that stand out as your your favorite one
1: uh, because it's it's the only movie I feel that it's it's it was his baby. Oh, you know. The okay. first two movies, uh, Big Boss and Fist of Fury, those were studio films he was making for Raymond Chow. Um, and it, based on the success of those two films, he was able to form Concord Productions, which was his own production company, and go oh. into kind of a co-production relationship with Raymond Chow. He wrote Way of the Dragon um, and basically he well, he directed it and he decided to go on location and shoot some stuff in 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 Italy, although the most of the film was actually shot in sound stages in Hong Kong. Yeah. And and there's humor in it, which is lacking from his first two movies. Yes. And it's the only one of his babies that he finished because he never finished game of death and enter the dragon was a Warner brothers film. That was another big studio film. So it's the only of all of his films that kind of like he wrote it, he directed it, that you can kind of see what his ideas were. He wanted to have some comedy. There was a little bit more depth, Uh, his character and way the dragon had more depth than his two previous films. Right. I mean, what, what can, how can you describe Bruce Lee's character in Big Boss in two sentences. Like <laughs> it is just like a guy who got pissed and got revenge. <laughs> yeah, you know? Exactly. And uh this the second film is not much different. Uh but there was a little bit more complexity to the Tang Long character in Way of the Dragon. He was a country bumpkin. Yeah. He was butting heads in the cosmopolitan city of Rome. And um in for people who kind of know a bit about Hong Kong, he's from Sha Tin, from the new territories. Okay. And at that time, that was all farmland over there. So he wasn't like his character, Tang Lung wasn't from the city part of Hong Kong. He was from the country part of Hong Kong. So there was that whole joke that he was even unsophisticated for Chinese standards. And when you when you understand that in the original Chinese version, that humor is throughout the entire film
0: ah okay i mean that that film loses its its meaning a lot because a lot of people watch it dubbed and it doesn't work because everyone's speaking english and the miscommunication doesn't come across it doesn't make any sense
1: yeah yeah when i was a kid and i saw it dubbed and it was called return of the dragon because Mm -hmm. they tried to bill it as a enter the dragon sequel (laughs) it never i never understood why bruce was going up to people and say hey you tell him i was always like you're right there, why don't you just tell him yourself, right? Because obviously in the original dialogue he's speaking Chinese, the other guy has to translate exactly. it for him, right? And so much of that is lost. Yeah.
0: So would have uh would Game of Death have been his best, do you think, if it was finished by him?
1: So I have an unpopular opinion as oh. a Bruce Lee geek. I think Game of Death would have been a hot mess express of a movie. Really? Um, I, think the, I think the fight scenes would have been great. I mean, we did see a couple fight scenes and they're pretty awesome. And uh, the problem was that he didn't really have a script for the film. People say that he, he did not actually have a script. for the Okay. At the, by, by the time uh, he finished Way of the Dragon, he was a bona fide star. Raymond Chow was just like, whatever you want to do this, you can do whatever you want. And right. Bruce basically had the idea of this pagoda fight scene leveling up and every level you go up, you're fighting a, a, a more difficult opponent. Basically, the first time he was the one who came up with the whole idea of having a, what we use now. So normal in video games, you have your end yeah. boss, yeah. you know, and you keep going up levels like he actually kind of came up with that idea. So. But that was the idea that he had. The first floor was going to be a bunch of uh, useless karate extras that he would just mm-hmm. lay waste. And then every level he went up, you know, there'd be a Mantis guy, maybe a Wing Chun guy, then Dan and Asanto, and then the Hapkido guy, until finally fighting the, you know, the style of the unknown at the top. And it seems from what we know that that was his idea. And other right. than that, he was a for, uh, he was a retired martial arts champ whose sister gets kidnapped or something like that. But it it seems like he had come up with the ideas for the fights first and then would try to write a story around that. I mean, even at the time of his death, They were like, oh, let's get George Lazenby on Game of Death. They had already shot those scenes. They're literally trying to figure out how to shoehorn George Lazenby (laughs) into the movie because there's no script. So I think the fight scenes would have been good, but I think it probably would have been a bit of a narrative mess because I think they were cobbling that thing together as it went along.
0: Uh Do you think then that we we were left with what, half a product, less than half a product, maybe, you know, the last 20 minutes. Do you think they should have left it as it is and called it a day? Or do you respect the fact that they did put something together, even if it does have Bruce Lee cardboard cutouts and clones or what they call clones and things like that?
1: Yeah. um, I like what they did in the John Little documentary, Warrior's Journey, where they took the uncut footage and kind of tried to put it together so people could see it i think that was obviously a very respectful thing to do with the footage what they did in the late 70s what raymond chow did is an abomination and (laughs) i mean i understand i mean that's also the pre-digital age i mean how else are you going to distribute that content in the late 70s um are you just gonna you can't put a 20 minute movie no just these couple fights exactly nowadays it's like you would have just thrown the thing up on youtube or whatever right it wouldn't have been a problem but back then that wasn't really the model that they were working with but um it's so blatantly disrespectful yeah um that it 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 didn't help raymond chow uh because obviously there were a lot of rumors about his contentious relationship with bruce lee especially in the last year and a half and then for him to kind of do that Uh, It it almost seems like he was kind of flaunting all those death conspiracies, like about the triads and stuff like that, making that a main plot point in his films. And, you know, they had it's not one, not two, not three, but four different people play Bruce Lee in that film. You had one, you had (laughs) actual archival footage of Bruce Lee. So to a certain degree, you have Bruce Lee playing Bruce Lee in some bits and in, you know, callbacks from other films. Yep. But then you had Kim Taichung, the Korean actor who was doing most of the uh, fight scenes that Mm -hmm. were outside of that final fight. But then there was another actor. I don't know if you noticed for the close ups, uh, because Kim Taichung being a Korean actor, he didn't speak any English. So in the close ups, like when he's on the phone. That was actually another actor who could speak English. Oh, okay. And then the fourth actor that played him in there was the one who did all the acrobats, which was uh, Yun-Biu, yeah. So, like when you see in the in the you know the 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 Carl Miller fight scene in the locker room, you know, it's like you can you can almost become schizophrenic watching it. There's like a, a shot of Bruce Lee from Way of the Dragon, and then there's <laughs> Kim Taejoong doing like a double kick, and then there's Yun-Biu doing an aerial off the wall, and it's just like.
2: Yeah. Your your mind
1: like just cannot cannot keep up with it. It's
0: just crazy. I do like the fact that they kind of shoehorned in there, the one with Casanova One that was never meant to be, the one in the greenhouse.
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah, it
0: was like obviously Bruce was never
1: intending to do that. It's really good. It's really good. No, it's really awesome. As as much as I'm not like a huge I'm not I don't really like like, Bruce Lee clone movies and any of that kind of stuff. I have to say that fight scene with Kim Taichung and Casanova Wong Mm -hmm. is awesome. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's, it's just fantastic. It's just, what can you say about it? It's so good.
0: Yeah. I'm a, I'm a big fan of that one. I, I, I know this is blasphemy uh, for, for Bruce Lee fans. I'm actually a fan of the film Game of Death 2 that came out after Game of Death. It's, ludicrous it's absolutely insane but I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of it it's a complete you know it's it's the same actor that played uh, kim kim tai chung um yes. that it he plays him it, at the beginning basically bruce lee dies and then he carries on as bruce lee's brother and uh it's got Huang jang lee in it and it's it's uh, it's amazing but in the same uh, like it's also terrible but yeah it's a very great. interesting for well, great fight scenes but completely bizarre very strange.
1: Absolutely, and one of my good friends, uh, Ron Van Cleef, is in a uh, Bruce playtation. Oh. Uh, I forget the name of it, uh, the, the Return of the Black Dragon. So it's basically <laughs> uh, he comes back to Hong Kong to solve Bruce Lee's death. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: of course, and, of course. Uh, and,
1: and Ron is a very good friend of mine, and it's just it's just it's just very funny when I talk to him about like making those films, and, and uh, yeah, it's, uh, what what a. What a crazy time period! That whole post Bruce Lee death, but pre Jackie Chan kind yeah. of. It was like this is a wild time in Hong Kong cinema.
0: Truly, truly bizarre. I um last year I sat through fifty Bruce Boitation films, and I watched like fifty in about two months or three months, and I found about let's say seven of them were like really good, and the rest was just pretty much trash. Um, oh yeah yeah, oh, yeah. It, it wasn't the greatest uh cinema journey i've been on so why do you think out of you, you know over the years we've had so many like huge iconic legendary names in pop culture i mean another one that springs to mind is like elvis for example let's take elvis why do you think it's bruce that stands out and to this day people are still saying well oh, bruce was killed by ninjas or bruce did this bruce did that he died this way he died that way um you know your your arch enemy beardy who uh, <laughs> we probably won't go into uh, as we talk but uh, uh check out the uh the kung fu genius podcast for the the beardy episode it's it's very very interesting but why are people still like just fascinated with the lies about bruce what is it about him do you think
1: well, uh, I mean, obviously, Bruce Lee is someone who died at the the, the peak of his right. rise to stardom at 32 years old under somewhat mysterious conditions. Yes, and you know the the problem is that e- even if e- even if you had seen him die in a car crash on video, <laughs> there would be conspiracy theories because of his age and because of what was going on at the yeah. time. You know, uh, I, I believe the real reason why conspiracies around Bruce Lee's death will probably never go away yeah. is because, well, th- there are problems with his autopsy. I, I, I have a copy of his autopsy report. Oh, nice. Uh, and yes, so I, I'm that level of Bruce Lee. <laughs> deep, and, um, <laughs> Pretty deep. I am a, I am a non-medical professional i just need to put that out there my medical opinion my my analysis of an autopsy is completely worthless okay (laughs) Uh, i'm just gonna say for being a complete amateur and complete knucklehead looking at it (laughs) there are glaring uh issues with Uh, his autopsy report wow and uh and so that already starts part of the problem the other thing is that the reason why in Hong Kong these things persisted right from the beginning is because Raymond Chow lied about Bruce Lee's death at first.
0: Right. When yes. Bruce
1: Lee, yeah, when Bruce Lee first passed away, he told the press that Bruce collapsed at home at his 41 Cumberland Road home in Kowloon Tong. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, having a stroll with his wife in the garden kind of bullshit. And then, uh, they took him to the hospital and then, oh, no, unfortunately, he has passed away. And it wasn't until, uh, I believe, a reporter who just was snooping around at the hospital and yeah. looked at the manifest from the ambulances and saw that the ambulance that picked up Bruce Lee did not go to 41 Cumberland Road. It came from Beacon Hill Road just a uh-huh. few blocks up, which is the apartment of his well-known mistress, Betty Ting Pei. And uh, this had already hit the press that Bruce collapsed at home. Oh, and then okay. the next day it came out that he in fact did not. And they were forced to basically admit that he backpedal. collapsed over there and then create this whole <laughs> – yeah, they had to backpedal. And that was already the first problem. So, And mm-hmm. the unfortunate thing is that actually has nothing to do with Bruce Lee's death. Right. That just has to do with, they just didn't want people to know where he was at the time of his event. Yeah, makes sense. And that already, it's then already, that creates the problem of, well, if you're lying about that, what else are you lying about? Yeah. So uh, I think for, for those reasons, and then of course, you know, the, the perception of, of Asia in the 1970s, especially martial arts being so mystical and, and ninjas and death touch and all this kind of stuff. I mean, it, yeah. it's a kind of a perfect storm for those kind of rumors to, to come about. When I first went to Hong Kong in 96, I was 18 years old. I thought everyone there was going to do Kung Fu. I thought I thought <laughs> Hong Kong was going to be like something out of an old Kung Fu movie. Right. And I go there, and it's one of the most modern cities I've ever been to, and you have to really stretch to even find Chinese martial arts. Right. And that was in the 90s, right? And so <laughs> this perception, I think, also fueled a lot of speculation about this death
0: interesting yeah i think i i also feel like something about his charisma had something about it he was this um he was this shining like star of a person he just oozed so much charisma that you couldn't help but be interested in him even even the layman who didn't know much about martial arts just seeing him speak or i mean to this day you've posted it recently on instagram all the bullshit quotes that are just bruce never even said but they sound like him because he was this kind of philosopher and this this uh, like in deep person and um i think that had something to do with it he was just he really was someone special i think
1: absolutely and also don't forget that there's something called the primacy effect which is the first person or first thing mm-hmm. to break into something is usually the one that becomes most beloved because it's the first one that's in your mind uh, yeah and although five fingers of death uh, came out before bruce lee's films in the states it it was it had a huge underground impact yes but because enter the dragon because it was a warner brothers film went everywhere and right. it became this huge hit i think it was the number 2 hit of 73 second to exorcist oh. um, then it became a cultural phenomenon so mm-hmm. so for many people that was their. That was their. That was the first martial arts icon. Right. Right. And enter the dragon. And then he gets the primacy effect. And he was he was phenomenal for so many different reasons. I mean, one, he was he was American. He was born in America, but he grew up in yeah. Hong Kong. He could speak Chinese. He learned martial arts over there. He was a childhood actor. So he knew how to be in front of the camera. He right. knew how to act. He knew how that industry worked he came over here he spoke english very eloquently i mean you have to imagine uh, he learned how to speak english in hong kong in school and he was a he was like a d student wow and when you listen uh, t- when you listen to him speak english uh, i mean he, his 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 vocabulary and his word choice is really quite phenomenal i mean he, he did have an accent but he spoke english uh, in a way that you'd be very hard pressed to find even just some american born uh, Non-Chinese actors nowadays who speak that eloquently. Yeah, and he he was able to he was able to put it on for Chinese audiences. He was able to do it a little bit differently for American audiences. Mm-hmm. He he knew how to be a showman. He knew how to speak. He knew he knew what people liked, and uh, he was. Uh, He was not a typical Chinese star because he lived in America for many years. So he was basically, you you couldn't combine, all these elements combined really created the perfect storm of someone that I don't think you're ever going to see again. No,
0: I I absolutely agree. I don't think we'll ever uh, see someone like him. So I have to ask then, and there's no way of knowing the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, With Bob Wall's death in January... Do you think we'll see more cocaine letters? <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, that's a very <laughs> good question. Um, yeah, that you know the drug letters was a huge bombshell for it. oh yeah, one, it was really hardcore mm-hmm. Bruce Lee fan because I mean I think most of us knew that he had a habit of uh, you know smoking weed or whatever. Yeah. and I mean it was the sixties and seventies. I don't think anyone really cares, but we really didn't know that like he had a pretty regular cocaine habit and um the, and when i say that everyone in the comments of that is like oh i totally knew bro i totally knew he was using cocaine everyone <laughs> was using cocaine at that time and no one knew nope. okay because i'm i'm good friends with two of the biggest bruce lee biographers who wrote the most amount of Books and 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 depth about Bruce Lee, yeah. and neither of them knew. Neither of them knew. No. Right? Uh, this hit everyone like 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 a ton of bricks. And to see the letters and to see the 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 the, ex- the extent of his cocaine habit, I think was quite startling. Yeah. It does explain um, his uh, loss of water weight, of interstitial water weight, in the last two years because his cocaine habit really seemed to pick up when he came to Hong Kong. Right. Uh, he may have been using it before, but according to the letters, it really looks like he was using it once he came to Hong Kong, which was also very risky at that time, given the, the drug laws in Hong Kong. Yeah. So uh, but it makes a lot of sense. People always talk about how he got so much more muscular. If you actually look at his body during the time of Green Hornet or in the late 60s, and yeah. you look at his body in films like Way of the Dragon, He is actually not any bigger. And I know when I say this, people disagree with me all the time. I I can show you photos of him flexing in the late 60s and show you photos of him flexing in those films. He is the same size. The only difference is he had almost no water in his body during the time he was living in Hong Kong. He was stripped of a lot of interstitial water weight, which John Little thought It was because of the heat and humidity in Hong Kong, Mm. and now, given the whole cocaine thing, we now maybe have another um, reason why he was lacking uh, body—you know—body water. And and the other thing is uh, cerebral edema, uh, which is what Bruce Lee died of, Mm -hmm. is something that cocaine cocaine users uh, tend to die from. The thing with cerebral because. Uh, cocaine weakens the, the blood vessels in, in, in the brain, and uh, cerebral edema is a huge cause of death among habitual cocaine users, but also among some casual cocaine users. Yeah, And the da- the damage that cocaine does to the brain in, in terms of cerebral edema, uh, you don't actually need to be on cocaine for you to have cerebral edema because you've been abusing cocaine. So, um, cocaine, uh, people are very quick to say, oh, they didn't find cocaine in his system. Yeah. Well, I've seen his autopsy. They didn't look for it.
0: Yeah, I read that, that they just didn't look for it at all.
1: It's not on there. They looked, there's cannabis, they looked for poisons and metals and <laughs> right. things like that. It is actually not on his toxicology report huh uh and when i say that someone in the comments it's not on his toxicology report so you didn't have it no i mean <laughs> i meant they didn't look right for it. right not that he came up without it in his system but the other thing and i've learned so much about cocaine since i did that damn video <laughs> which is still the number one video on my channel it's not it's not any of my awesome stuff about martial arts it's the damn <laughs> drug letters video um that uh Cocaine clears the system very quickly. So mm. even if they did test for it during the autopsy, it would have been totally possible that it had cleared his system because it clears in two to three days from what I've heard. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, he still might have had cerebral edema because of it. Um, I think that it was actually active in his system. And I think it was also active in his system when he had his May 10th collapse. Yeah. Because that would have been around the time he received that $500 order from Bob Baker. <laughs> so um so that, those those are kind of my thoughts i i think i think the cocaine did it
0: uh, certainly it certainly makes sense and it adds up of course in this day and age with bruce lee being the icon that he is uh, you do have those just those die hard bruce fans that even though they love him to death they refuse to admit the 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 oh, yeah. the, the negatives about him and will refuse to admit that he ever did cocaine he ever did this he ever did that you know even you know he never cheated or on his wife or <laughs> yeah, Exactly, yeah exactly yeah uh, yeah that's that's very very interesting um a, a question i had and i i assume the answer is no because well i don't know i'm not very well versed on it but when you watch a bruce lee film any of bruce lee's films do you see any Wing Chun in there? Do you spot any that's being used? Obviously, he went on to do Jeet Kune Do, which was, you know, evolved from his... It's Well, he he did Wing Chun first and then eventually created Jeet Kune Do. Do you ever see Wing Chun in his films, or is it just not present at all?
1: Uh, yes, I think Bruce recognized that Wing Chun is a bit difficult to choreograph because it's, yeah. the movements are short, they're small, and it also usually requires someone who kind of knows how to do it, so that you can show some of this stuff. Right. But uh, there are some there are some famous little phrases of Wing Chun in some of his fight scenes. There's oh. really none in Big Boss. Right. But in uh, in Fists of Fury, uh, when he fights his cocaine dealer Bob Baker uh, <laughs> towards the end of the uh, the film, there. There's actually a couple sequences where you see he does like Pak Sao and Lap Sao and a couple chain punches in there. And he's able to pull it off with Bob Baker because Bob Baker was also a Cheek practitioner. Do yeah. so, practitioner. So there is like a couple little quick phrases at the end of Fist of Fury. In uh, Way of the Dragon, he also does a couple quick little phrases of Wing Chun with Chuck Norris at the end there. With a couple oh, of fast yeah. Chain punches and a Pak Sao Lap Sao, right? Um, And then obviously in Enter the Dragon, where he squares off with Bob Wall, that that entire hand touching hand that that's an entire that's that's his way of showing Wing Chun right there. But beyond those kind of three phrases, he he didn't really seem to use Wing Chun a lot because I think he also understood audience likes to see kicks high kicks spin kicks big movements one thing that he learned from working in american film was the power of the john wayne punch because the john wayne punch when you watch it on the big screen covers the entire (laughs) screen goes across and creates a lot more impact visually than a short wing chun straight punch is going to do so that's why you would see that oftentimes at the end of his movements he would just have this wild swing, because it's meant to cross the entire screen and give that effect. So I think he was much more concerned with the general showmanship than showcasing any particular style. He also didn't do that much Jeet Kune, though, of his actual Jeet Kune, a a, a little bit with Chuck, with some of the distance and kicks and moving around, especially at the end when he started to get his rhythm. But he didn't really use that much JKD in his films either. So
0: Okay, okay. I just realized that like, I totally fucked up earlier. Um, I said that Bob Wall had died and we should be getting cocaine letters, but they were Bob Baker's cocaine letters or oh, drug letters, yes. I should say. Well, uh, I, I, I figured that,
1: but you know who knows? <laughs> no, I made a uh, mistake. The, the, late, the late Bob Wall might also be in possession <laughs> of all sorts of bizarre Bruce Lee memorabilia. That's gonna yeah, at this point, I wouldn't be shocked if <laughs> Bob Wall also had his own <laughs> drug letters. Um, Oddly enough, I'm such a Bruce Lee geek. Uh, Bob Wall once went over to Bruce Lee's house Mm. uh, during that time in Hong Kong and said that Bruce Lee had a Playboy magazine. I forget which month or whatever. Right. And it had a huge section on drugs. And it had even had a pullout section, not a centerfold, a pullout section with all the different drugs and what they do and and cocaine and everything on there. And he said that uh, Bruce was showing him this thing and showing him about all the different drugs and stuff like that or whatever right and based on that I actually went and ordered that exact edition of Playboy nice. for that reason only I might add right? yes. <laughs> not for any other reason and so I'm now in possession of uh, some 1972 issue that Bruce Lee had which had this huge pullout section on, on drugs and uh, I showed it to uh, John Little who's also a Bruce Lee historian and so he's <laughs> like yeah th- that's the level of my geekdom it's like I even need the same magazine that he had uh, just to just to get an idea of what he was reading.
0: That's awesome. That's that's quite the uh, quite the collector. Um, I respect that, yes. though. I definitely respect that. Um, so I I will let you go shortly. I just have a few few more questions. Um, sure. So going back to to kung fu movies, obviously you began the journey with with Bruce Lee these days are you a and i know this is very hard i i have troubles answering this question are you a golden harvest or shore brothers guy
1: uh yes i saw 36 styles yeah that story yeah you know, a little she, meme yeah, like, yeah two ago with <laughs> with angela Mao. like when you go which one do you like better yeah um yeah i think for me it's it kind of depends like some days you're a little bit like this some days you're yep. a little bit like that the the Shaw Brothers films in general, had a, a very homogenous aesthetic, mm-hmm. which is like because they, they, they were all kind of shot in the studio with some exceptions. So they all kind of have a look. And and, and so they're a lot more homogenous than, say, the Golden Harvest films, which are yeah. being shot in studio on location. And it tends to be a little bit more variety among the Golden Harvest films. But it's not even really about that. It's about the performances from the actors. And it's just like, just sometimes you're just in the mood to watch those venom films or to watch Laokar Leung's films of 36 chambers or eight diagram pole fighter. Absolutely. uh, Any of those kind of iconic films. And then other times it's like magnificent butcher. And we're not even getting out of this, the seventies here. (laughs) uh, Obviously Shaw Shaw brothers didn't really have that much going on past the mid eighties. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing to see how uh, Golden Harvest pivoted uh, in, you know, competing with Shaw Brothers and starting to do the modern action movies with Jackie Chan and Police Story and yeah. stuff and doing, doing things that you know, Shaw Brothers could no longer keep up with and... and uh, uh yeah so i don't know I, I just basically rambled on because i cannot answer that, question. <laughs> <laughs> that
0: makes perfect sense i hope you i hope you don't mind me saying but uh, as we as we talk you do have a uh, a broken oath poster behind you
1: i do have a broken oath poster behind me and nice. um and uh i i got two of them i picked them up in hong kong mm-hmm. and uh one of them i gave to angela mao herself oh wow um yeah, because her restaurant is uh, just about the 25-minute drive from here. Oh, wow. And uh, it's still totally bizarre to go in there and see her. <laughs> and like when she sees me and my family, she's like, oh, hey. And she will personally go into the kitchen when I'm there and cook whatever we order herself. Oh, that's crazy. So, which is like mind-blowing, <laughs> like you know you know lady whirlwind you know, she's in all these films hop keto you know with all of these incredible films and of course plays bruce lee's sister in of, End of the dragon and there she is like cooking noodles and like you know touching my kid's hair and, like bringing us food wow and it's just totally bizarre um and uh, she's basically lived a quiet life since the 90s yeah i i, I uh, remember, she she talked about uh, she doesn't really like to talk about that stuff too much. She'll do it like she's very fan friendly. But you can tell that's kind of a chapter of her life that she's kind of done with. She's oh. all about her family and her restaurant and stuff now. And so and then occasionally these weirdos will show up to her restaurant and ask her <laughs> obscure questions about films she made 40 years ago that she can't answer because she doesn't even think about that stuff. She said that she came to the States basically to, you know, raise her family and, you know, get away from her, you know, not really get away, but she was kind of done with that movie life. Yeah. And uh, there's a story that, you know, when she first came to New York, very shortly after arriving, she was in Times Square and she was walking there and black guy walked up to her and said, are you Angela Mao? Wow. And she couldn't believe that anyone even knew who she (laughs) was over there. She had no idea that those films had like a huge cult following and and it, it kind of i think still shocks her a little bit um that uh people are still so fond of this stuff that she did so long ago yeah um and and uh she she doesn't talk about it often but when she does talk about it it's, it's very interesting to hear her talk about bruce lee and talk about um you know she's even worked with jackie chan and yeah with samuel hung and oh and yeah uh, dance Gian dance Jay. of death
0: and, he choreographed dance of death right with her oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah yeah there's
1: even that photo of this one posted it just recently you might have even i think
0: it was it, I, think. I think it was <laughs> uh,
1: yeah and and uh what's what's kind of i think the most interesting is how pragmatic a lot of these hong kong movie stars are once their career is done mm-hmm. an american an american actor does one film in the 80s that does kind of okay and they are a movie star <laughs> for the rest yep. of their lives even though, <laughs> even though they never work again and the Hong Kong Chinese, although she's actually not Hong Kong Chinese, she's from Taiwan, she's the Chinese in general, when their career is done, they're very pragmatic, like, okay, I'm done making movies, ah. now they go become a lawyer, uh, um, or they go and open a business, or they go do something. Right. They don't have this thing, like, I was a movie star, and you need to treat me like that. They're yeah. They're very, very... E- easy to go to that next life stage after those films are done. And I think that's quite remarkable about the Chinese
0: character. That's, that's awesome. The fact that she's, yeah, the fact that she's over here is, is incredible. And the, Anyone can walk in and see her. I you know. I I think it's great that people respect her privacy as well. But the fact that you can go in and just literally have food cooked by Angela Mao is oh absolutely <laughs> mind blowing. If, if you
1: ever come and visit, if you ever come and visit me here in New York, I'll take you there. That would be and, uh, amazing. She doesn't, she doesn't speak too much English. Yeah. So so I have to, to speak in, in Chinese and uh, we brought a Jihan Jay there to to meet her.
2: She, oh wow. um,
1: She learned hapkido from him. In yes. Hapkido and she considers him essentially her sifu because he's the only one who taught her formal martial arts because she comes from an opera background not a traditional martial arts background yeah so she actually considers jihon jay like her sifu because he's the one who taught her actual martial arts and he had been living in the states since the 70s and she's been living in the states since the 90s they didn't know at one point she's in new york and he was living in new jersey they had no idea that's incredible time And we were able to reunite them uh, in 2016. Wow. It was the first time they'd seen each other since, I think, the film Hapkido. Wow. And she was, like, almost in tears seeing him. And, and, you know, he's much older now. And, of course, Gianna was also in Game of Death with Bruce. Oh, yeah. The guy in the the white and gold suit. And so there I am and she's like taking care of him and like, oh, Sivu and getting him food. And like, you know, like, like you can tell, like she suddenly becomes that same girl she was in the seventies when she saw him. And um, I was sitting there and they needed someone to translate because she really doesn't speak English that well. Yeah. And and he doesn't speak Chinese. And I was the one translating for Jihan J and Angela Mao. And there was just a moment there where I like, it was like, Going back to being eight years old and watching her in the Enter the Dragon (laughs) and then seeing him in Game of Death, and now fast forward is for you know 30 some odd years, and here I am with them at the same table, incredible translating for them, and I just realized like. Yeah, my entire adult life has just basically been to fulfill these strange unrequited <laughs> childhood fantasies <laughs> and I'm slowly ticking them off one by one. <laughs> quite, quite the
0: bucket list <laughs> that you've ticked off yes, already. Absolutely. That's incredible. Absolutely. Two last questions, I'll I'll definitely let you go. Just I this is really for my sake. It's less for my listener's sake and really for my sake. Okay. But when it comes to Wing Chun, whenever you go on Instagram, whenever you go on whatever youtube everyone's chain punching everyone's on the wooden dummy how much wing chun wing chun i'm doing that in quotes for my listeners how much wing chun is bullshit that's out there at the moment cuz everyone's doing it
1: right sure sure yeah, I think a, a lot of it, uh, a lot of it is not really authentic or traditional right. or practical. You know, a lot of the stuff there is just for show. You got some of the most watched stuff on Instagram or YouTube is just some dude doing a bunch of slappy stuff, Yeah. dummy, and it just looks cool and people like it because the casuals think that's something and they follow that. Uh, there's also some kind of Wing Chun Instagram stars like from China. That are shooting all these produced videos where everything is sped up and everything is yeah. choreographed and there's an entire generation of people that think that those are legitimate masters because they're chinese and these are just actors from china I mean, this
2: yeah is like
1: real or anything and so you know i mean uh, on one hand it is kind of nice because it brings more awareness to the art on the other hand you know we live in a, kind of an mma uh, uh age and i think that uh, Wing Chun people, if they really want to be able to be relevant uh, from a fighting standpoint, they need to modernize the way they train a little right. bit. And um, and so I, I see a lot of people who are very, like, staunch traditionalists uh, that uh, believe in what they're doing with kind of an almost uh, – they're like almost religious zealots uh, yeah. in the way that they believe in this and they don't have enough experience to even know how bad they are they're all essentially the poster boys for the dunning-kruger effect and Got so you. there are a lot of there, there are a lot of there's a lot of stuff out there that's embarrassing oddly enough uh, I, I took over my instagram my public instagram mm-hmm. two months ago i had someone who's doing it for me and now it's starting to get big or whatever i have a, i have my own video which is now kind of viral. It's got over 200,000 views. It's great. And I, I, posted it I, last I love it. Week. It's this short little choreography yep. thing, right? It's total bullshit. All right? That is not at all how I do Wing Chun. Right? And there's so many comments like, "Oh, this would never work." In a f-. Even though in the caption I go, "This is just choreography." Right. I'm there with my friend Svetlana Wu Woman, and we just we came up with that in in 30 seconds. Right. And that take was the second take, which was a minute after we came up with the choreography. <laughs> so we just did it like on the fly. Right. Um, I that is actually not real Wing Chun. This is kind of movie Wing Chun. And in in you know it looks cool. I like I see it looks cool. It looks ever, great. But for my Wing Chun brain, it's total bullshit. That's the video that got two hundred thousand. Of views,
2: course,
0: the right? irony.
1: <laughs> so the irony, right? So it makes sense why certain people are huge because that's the stuff that people crave. And yeah. so I, I will continue to put out authentic stuff but about every two weeks I'll put out another bullshit video just to increase my follower base because that seems to be what people like. <laughs> I can create that bullshit all day. <laughs>
0: so my final question, and I have to ask this, and you can tell me to edit this out if you want. Look, is is Master Wong bullshit? <laughs>
1: um, <laughs> so... Um, he obviously had some kind of Wing Chun training at some point. OK, uh, most of what he shows is not authentic to traditional Wing Chun, but I don't think that that's ever been his point. I don't yes. think he's the guy saying he's the most traditional. Guy no, or whatever. no, um, but that's also my issue, because either you show Wing Chun in a traditional classical, correct way mm-hmm. in that kind of off- in that vein of authenticity, or you say, I'm going to modernize Wing Chun so that it's relevant to the kind of MMA data in the MMA age. Right. And I'm kind of both. I teach both classical Wing Chun, but I also teach from the self-defense perspective, a very I have a very modern take on the way Wing Chun should be applied. and he's then showing stuff like how to fight against boxers, and the stuff he's showing is absolute garbage. Uh, you'd be better—you'd be better served just doing traditional Wing Chun against a boxer than doing some of the weird stuff he comes up with. So um, that's why I have a little bit of an issue. But he knows how to work the algorithm. He has uh, millions of subscribers and followers, so he's yeah. definitely doing something right in terms of monetizing himself. So for me to say that he's bullshit makes it seem like I'm kind of sour grapes. But he's kind of bullshit. <laughs>
0: All right. Finally, do you have any plugs? I know you've got a book out there. You've obviously got the Kung Fu Genius podcast.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, well, um, if your listeners are not already listening to my podcast, the Kung Fu Genius, we are on Spotify and wherever people listen to audio podcasts. We do both as an audio and video format. So if you want to watch the podcast, you can watch it on YouTube at the Kung Fu Genius channel. Every Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we have the live premiere of the yep. weekly episode. And uh, it's obviously more martial arts and Wing Chun and Bruce Lee stuff, but I do occasionally talk about film stuff on there. I have a couple past episodes with like Vincent Lin and Bobby Samuel, people who are interested in movie stuff. And uh, so there's that. And I've written a number of books. My latest book is on The Wooden Dummy, and it is um, cleverly called The Wooden Dummy. (laughs) Uh, It is available for sale at citywt.com. And uh, and if you guys want to give me a follow on Instagram, at the kung fu genius i definitely appreciate that all sorts of fun hot nonsense on my instagram page (laughs) and you guys can also interact with me there as well so yeah that's about it
0: that's awesome i highly recommend the uh kung fu genius podcast it's fantastic and we need to we need to get more love towards the the bobby samuels episodes and those that you've done with absolute legends because i know obviously you have a fan base that's maybe more focused on the wing chun side of things but you've interviewed these absolute icons of the genre and yeah, go over, go and watch them. It's, it's great stuff. All right. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I really, really appreciate it. You're the first guest we've ever had on the podcast. And, uh, it oh, was, wow. yeah, it's absolutely. A
2: thank yeah. You so much. Absolutely.
0: A yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you very much. I very, very much appreciate it. And, uh, we'll get this out ASAP. And obviously if anyone out there, I'm foo underscore for underscore thought on Instagram, uh give us a listen or give us a listen to the podcast if you're i mean if oh my god i can't even do an outro if you're not already subscribed to the podcast subscribe to the podcast because you're already listening to it obviously so thank you very much everyone for listening and i'll catch you later